Well, good morning. Uh, so I brought uh, something with me. I don't uh, usually do this uh, sort of object show-and-tell kind of thing, uh, but at the same time, I've not even been a pastor for a year, so what's usually for me? Um, <laughs> but I brought with me uh, what is perhaps uh, one of, if not the most, uh, of my prized possessions. Uh, and now this, uh, as strange as it looks, is actually not intended uh, for science experiments, although one could contend how I start my day every morning uh, comes close. This is very simply a coffee maker. It's a coffee maker. Uh, this is called a Chemex. And uh, the Chemex, just a brief history of the Chemex, this was invented uh, in 1941 uh, by a man by the name of Dr. Peter Schlumbaum. I love that name, Peter Schlumbaum. Uh, and he actually was a chemist. And Dr. Schlumbaum's goal in creating the Chemex was to create a coffee maker that would t- create the best tasting cup of coffee possible and do it in a way uh, that could be done very simply. Um, this, uh, this continues to be one of the most widely used brewing devices in the craft coffee world. And uh, this actually was on display uh, in 19... 19- more- 43 in the Museum of Modern Art. So both its form and function are heralded uh, by, by coffee lovers everywhere. Now, this particular Chemex was purchased for me uh, by my wife. Now, it's no secret that I am a coffee lover. Some might even consider me to be a bit snobbish about my coffee. Uh, but I'm going to pull the Adam card and blame my wife uh, for that. <laughs> this woman that you gave me is responsible for it. Uh, But I have to admit that it wasn't always that way. Uh, See, my coffee renaissance was brought about uh, by this device. Um, But before that, coffee really just served kind of a utilitarian purpose in my life. Uh, I'm not a morning person at all. And so getting up for 8 a.m. seminary classes proved very difficult. And so coffee was always there, always an essential part of my day to get me going in the morning. Uh, But to be honest, uh, before uh, discovering this device, I wouldn't have been able to tell you the difference between a dry process Ethiopian coffee and a cup of cigarette butts floating in hot water. Um, I just drank it to wake up. That's all it was about. But then when my wife bought me this as a birthday gift three years ago, everything changed. This device has changed the way uh, that I drink coffee. Now, it's not just about waking up in the morning, although it still does serve that purpose. But this device uh, has brought this appreciation of coffee. Everything from the way that it's farmed uh, to how they process the coffee and then later how they roast the coffee. And, And then... Finally, to how coffee is brewed. I love everything about coffee, and it's all thanks to this. This changed coffee for me forever. Now when I drink coffee, I can't just drink anything. It has to be the best. It has to be fine, handcrafted cups of coffee. That's what I look for. Now, just last week, uh, Pastor Brad talked about the resurrection perhaps the most uh, important day of the church year for us. Easter Sunday, 
We remember Christ rising from the dead, victorious over sin. Victorious over death. And that day, and those simple words, just like Pastor Brad talked about, changed everything. Changed everything for the disciples. Changed everything for us as we've encountered Christ. And one could even contend that they have changed the course of human history. Think of how different things would be if the disciples had not gone about proclaiming with conviction that Christ had risen victorious over death. Think about how different our world would be. Now, one of the things that I believe that the resurrection changes for us, and and something that's very essential to who we are and how we live our lives, is the resurrection changes what we value. We talked about uh, values uh, when we did our discipleship series uh, back in January. And one of the things that I've come to very firmly believe is that everyone worships something. And by everyone, I really mean everyone. Christian, Muslim, Buddhist, Hindu, any world religion out there, everyone worships something. But on top of that, I believe that even the atheist, even the agnostic, even the so-called nuns, right? We live in the land where most, where has the most people who, when it comes to religious affiliation, they don't even put atheist or agnostic, they just put none. Just not an essential part of their life. I believe even the nuns worship something. Because I believe that worship is about far more than just a particular religious gathering on a certain day of the week. That's certainly part of our worship, but our worship doesn't end there. I believe that worship is what we do to the thing that we believe will bring about ultimate happiness and satisfaction in our life. Worship is what we do to that thing that we value the most. The thing that we think will bring us peace and wholeness, not just to us, but to the world around us. So if I'm being completely honest with myself, I don't always worship Jesus. One of the things that I find myself frequently worshiping is material possessions. Because I have been very much catechized by American culture, and I've been led to believe, and I've bought into this notion, that if I have the right collection of things in my life, then I'll be satisfied. Then I will have this sense of wholeness. My life will be as it should be, is if I just have things. And so because of that, I have this tendency to worship those things. See, we, we, we all have them. We all worship something. But what the resurrection confronts us with is not a call to just start worshiping, but a call to worship something in particular. Namely, Jesus. In the resurrection, we have this call to leave behind the American dream, to leave behind our love of things and worship the only one who can bring a lasting sense of wholeness and peace in our world. To fall at the feet of the one who's overcome sin and death. To worship the one who promises that he can bring restoration to our world. 
in a way that is far more profound than my discovery of the Chemex. Encountering Jesus is kind of like that, though. Encountering Jesus changes everything. When we encounter Jesus, it's a call to come and worship, not just on Sundays, but to worship on Sundays and with every single part of our lives. In fact, that's precisely what happened to Thomas in our Gospel reading. Jesus, he, he appears to his disciples on the evening of Easter Sunday, presumably waking them from their Easter brunch-induced naps. And he appears to them in the midst of this house, even though the doors are locked. And he stands before them and he, and he shows them the nail marks in, in his hands and his feet. And he says, here, touch them. Put your hand in my side. And, and as he does this, he then gives them this promise of the Holy Spirit. He grants them the authority to go out and forgive the sins of those who repent and believe in Jesus Christ. But as he does this, someone is missing. It's Thomas. Thomas isn't there. And as Thomas hears this word from the other disciples, he says, I don't believe it. Now, I do kind of feel like Thomas gets a little bit of a bad rap. Because guess who else didn't believe when they first only heard the message? All the disciples, right? But Thomas says, he says, no, unless I get to put my hands in the holes that are in his hands, unless I put my hand in his side, I won't believe. I want to see it for myself. See, what gets in the way of Thomas worshiping the risen Jesus? It's his doubt. It's his disbelief. It's himself. Right? Unless I see, unless I touch, I won't believe. It's not that Thomas isn't worshiping something. He's worshiping the wrong thing. He's placed himself at the center of the story instead of Jesus and his resurrection at the center of the story. But then eight days later, everything changes for Thomas. Because Jesus calls his bluff. Jesus appears again in the midst of the disciples. And he says to Thomas, here, put your hands where the nail marks are. Put your your hands in my side. Don't disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas falls at the feet of Jesus. He says, my Lord and my God. Jesus replies to him, blessed are those who have not seen but still believe. My Lord and my God. That's a confession of worship. Right, for, for a first century Jewish man, you don't just say, my Lord and my God, to anyone. Those words are reserved for one. They're reserved for the God of Israel, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God who was and is and is to come. The God who revealed Himself to Moses in the burning bush and gave the law on Mount Sinai. The God who led His people out of Egypt and into the Promised Land. That's my Lord and my God. For Thomas to say this about Jesus, that's to say, 
this God, this God of Israel, has made Himself known in this man, Jesus of Nazareth, who is now risen from the dead. To encounter Jesus is to encounter God in human flesh. My Lord and my God. The resurrection of Jesus, it changes what Thomas worships. It changes how the disciples worship. And we see this exhibited in their lives. They go about proclaiming the forgiveness of sins, sharing this resurrection of Jesus. And you look and you see in their lives what they're willing to endure, all for the sake of the Gospel and this message of Christ. Persecution, suffering, even martyrdom on the conviction that Jesus had risen from the dead, on the desire to worship Him with every single thing that they did. See, their lives weren't just changed on that day that Jesus appeared to them. Their lives weren't just changed for when they would gather together and worship, but their lives were changed in every way. This worship of Jesus, it touched every single part of them. Now, I don't know about you, but, but I kind of identify with Thomas. I often find myself thinking, man, if I, if I could just see. Right? If God would just make himself known to me in a little bit more real way, well, then, then I could just do extraordinary things. Then I wouldn't be so anxious about my life, then I wouldn't be so led to worship all these other things. But you know, I think to think that way, it discounts the whole reason that John writes his gospel. I mean, yes, we don't get to see in the same way that the, that the disciples got to see. But that doesn't mean we don't get to encounter Jesus. Listen to what John writes about why he records all these things. John chapter 20, verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. John's desire and I believe the desire of all of Scripture is that you would encounter the risen Jesus. That's what we're promised we receive when we read and study God's Word. When we gather here, it's Jesus that we encounter in His Word. That's what we promise that we received in our own baptism, that we have been joined to the very resurrection of Christ. It's what we believe that we're going to receive when we gather at the altar that we encounter the body and blood of the risen Jesus given for us for our forgiveness. That we would be strengthened in our faith. When we gather here in this place, we gather and encounter Jesus. The One risen from the dead. Have you ever noticed how we begin our worship every week? after our, our announcements and, and the passing of the peace, when we actually begin our, our formal worship service, how do we begin it each and every week? It's with the same words, the invocation. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
When we speak those words, what we are doing is we are invoking the name of God on our gathering. We're asking that God would be present in our midst, that He would make Himself known in this place. That He would come and be present with us in the ways that He has promised that He would be present with us. We're asking that we would encounter the risen Jesus when we gather. And then you'll also notice that when we leave worship, we end the same way. We end with the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you His peace. See, we enter and we ask that God would be present here. And then we leave with the promise that God will be present with us when we go. That as we go and we live our lives out in the world, our worship does not end. But we go with the promise that God is with us. That everything that we do is done in worship. That is done in praise and thanksgiving. That we have encountered the risen Christ. Because, once again, we're going to go out into the world and we're going to worship something. It might be our career. It might be our, our family. It might be our, our money and our possessions. Frankly, most often it will be ourselves. We're going to worship something. And so long as we are worshiping all these other things, we will find that instead of the wholeness that they promise, they only lead to emptiness. You worship your career, you'll find yourself burnt out. You worship your family, they'll never quite meet that ideal standard that you have. If you worship your money and your possessions, you'll never have enough. You'll always be wanting more. And if we worship ourselves, we will constantly feel inadequate. But you see, the resurrected Jesus, He comes to us, He encounters us here, and He shatters all of those idols. And He stands before us as the one true Son of God. The one risen from the dead. The one who can actually make good on His promises of wholeness and fulfillment. The one who has already sealed that promise by rising from the dead. And by faith and in the gift of baptism, we promise, we're promised that we receive that same resurrection that wholeness that God is bringing to all creation, we have been made a part of already by faith. And so we gather together and we worship here that we would go and continue to worship out there. And so this morning as we gather together, may it be Jesus, risen from the dead, that we encounter here. As we hear that word proclaimed again, as we continue to baptize more people into the family of God, and as we reflect on our own baptism, may it be Jesus and His resurrection that we encounter. As we receive the body and blood of the risen Jesus, may it be nothing short of Christ that we encounter at the altar.
And may we go with that promise that the risen Jesus goes with us. Because who knows, perhaps someone else will encounter the risen Jesus through you. Amen?